Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. If it doesn't work out here, I obviously have acting in my future. So we always do a funny video, kind of two segments leading up to VBS because VBS for us is a really big week. You may know this, you may not, but VBS week, more people will come to know Christ than any other week in our year. Did you know that? There'll be more salvations the week of VBS than any other week in our year. So we put a lot into it. If you've never been here for VBS or you have kids that maybe want to be involved, I would highly encourage you to do that. Next week, this place will be transformed. It won't look anything like it does now. And so let me just kind of give you a little heads up for next week. When you come in here, next week, 9.30, we have one big Sunday school here in the worship center. Don't go to your Sunday school classes because every part of the church is used for VBS. So if you show up in your Sunday school class at 9.30, they're going to recruit you to teach. So unless you want to teach VBS, be in here at 9.30 for Sunday school. Then 11 o'clock, we'll have our normal worship service uh, in the sanctuary. So 9.30, one big Sunday school. 11 o'clock, we have um, worship as usual. So I just want to encourage you guys to be part of that. And uh, if you have not volunteered or you want to volunteer, uh, there's still slots available. A lot of people will be part of that process. We need a lot of adults. We'll have literally hundreds and hundreds of kids. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have probably 350, 400 kids here on a regular uh, basis for VBS starting Sunday morning. It goes Sunday morning, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. So you be in prayer for all God wants to do through VBS, and I'm going to pray for us now as we open the truth of God's Word. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to serve you. We thank you for what you do in VBS, Lord. I just pray now for that week and for all those that are preparing, Lord, for the people that are going to be teaching, for the kids that are going to be coming. Lord, I pray it would just be a week that just is exciting and fun. Lord, we, we put a lot of energy and effort into it so these kids understand it's really important to us. But Really, at the, at the core of all that, at the center of all that, is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we'll teach to these kids. And so I pray for that child that doesn't yet know, that has not yet received Christ. I pray that this week would be very meaningful. I pray that you would just speak truth through your word. I pray that you would receive honor and glory in everything that we do that week, Lord. And I pray for our time right now as we open the truth of your word. Give us clarity. Give us understanding. Help us just to kind of see your truth. Apply it to our lives and through the power of the Spirit. I pray we could be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you a, a real simple question. The question is this. Who is the most courageous person you've ever known? Who's the most courageous person you've ever known? And as you kind of process through that and think through that, I want to ask you kind of the next question. If you settle in on who that courageous person is, I'd like you to think this. What made that person so courageous? I looked up in the dictionary this week, courage. It says it's the ability to face danger without fear. And I think on Memorial Day weekend, it's, it's a weekend that we enjoy time off of work and time with family and friends. But kind of the point of Memorial Day weekend is to remember all of those men and women over the years who've given their lives in service to our country. And as we think about courageous people in our world, 
Surely people that serve in the military have to come somewhere near the very top. One of my favorite books I read many years ago was called The Flags of Our Fathers. If you've never read that book, if you enjoy history, especially World War II history, I would strongly encourage you to read the book. I've never seen the movie. I know there's a movie about it. I don't know how good the movie is, but the book is fantastic. The book is about the Battle of Iwo Jima, latter part of World War II in the Pacific Ocean. Iwo Jima was an important location because it gave us the ability to launch bombing raids from that island on the mainland of Japan. And so we saw it as a very strategic place. We saw it as a very important place. And so the Japanese military understood its significance and they did everything they could to defend it. I I thought it'd be interesting just for a second to give you a couple of stats about this. Iwo Jima, if you've never read or studied, is a small little island, just over eight square miles, two miles by four miles, really small, two landing strips, kind of a hill, really, a mountain, Mount Suribachi. And on that island, because it was so strategically important, on eight square miles, the Japanese concentrated almost, now listen to this, these numbers are staggering, almost 22,000 troops, 22,000 troops on that small island, and they dug in, they built concrete bunkers, and barriers and put out landmines and had machine gun turrets and had barbed wire and were ready for this invasion. The United States military, even more staggering, sent, now just check this out, almost 800 ships and 70,000 Marines. So over 100,000 people engaged in this battle for eight square Miles. Now, you may be familiar with the Iwo Jima Memorial in Washington, D.C., or maybe you've seen the pictures of the, the men raising the flag. When we finally overtook the island and got to the top of the mountain, they, they raised the flag, and the famous picture is of the men raising the flag on Mount Suribachi at the end of that battle to capture that little island. But as you study Iwo Jima, you understand, you kind of read some of the history, you know that more Congressional Medals of Honor were given for that one battle than any other battle in history. Of the 22,000 Japanese soldiers on that island, only 216 were taken prisoner. 21,000 killed, about 7,000 Americans, several more thousand injured for just a few square miles. After I read that book, I I was kind of convinced that the people that landed and fought on Iwo Jima must have been some of the bravest people that ever lived. You should read the book. See, we stand here today with the freedom that we have because men and women through the centuries have given their lives for it. Do you understand that? And as we think about courage, I'm just reminded of those kind of people. And so I started thinking this morning, uh, this week, about courage and the idea of courage. And I, I think I could say, I hope I can say with certainty that Hopefully, none of us will ever have to storm a beach in a battle. But I think as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we should be asking ourselves maybe a simple question. What does courage look like as we choose to follow Christ? And and maybe even a step beyond that, what does courage look like in order to follow Christ to do everything he's called us to do regardless of the cost? See, we, we live in a, in a world right now, kind of in our society, in this century that's pretty isolated, and as far as Christianity is concerned, it's pretty easy on us. We're not yet persecuted for our faith. But you don't have to look very far. You don't have to travel very far to understand that there are people in this world right now that at some point in their life 
will be required to give up everything they own, maybe even life itself, for their faith in Christ. That's the world we live in. More people were martyred for their faith in the last century than all the other centuries combined. Did you know that? Now, I'm not a naysayer. I'm not a a kind of doom and gloom kind of person. That's not my personality at all. But as I kind of study the Scripture and I study current events, I think we all could say with some certainty that we may not be facing at this moment in our country a lot of persecution as believers, but I think one day it's coming. Now, those of us that are adults now may not be alive when it happens, but I can almost guarantee you our children, and especially my grandchildren, at some point will face persecution in this country. And I think if we're going to stand up to persecution, I think if we're going to teach our children and eventually our grandchildren to be strong during that persecution, we better figure out how to be courageous. We better figure out what God's called us to do and be willing to give everything and sacrifice everything for his kingdom and for his honor and for his glory. And so as we think about courage this morning, there, there are a lot of places we could turn in Scripture. We could talk about the courage of David as he fought Goliath. We could talk about the courage of Gideon as he kind of took 30,000 soldiers and whittled them down just a few hundred before he went into battle for the Lord. We could talk about Daniel in the, in the lion's den. We could talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar. We could talk about the people of the early centuries and the, and the martyrs that gave up their lives all through the centuries. There, there are lots of people we could talk about. But this morning, I wanted to think very specifically about not just courage, because I think that's important, but I wanted it to hit a little closer to home for us. I wanted to think about someone in Scripture who found great courage, but wasn't courageous at the beginning. Who can we talk about that maybe started off slow, but through this progression and this series of events that the Lord led him through, allowed him to do something pretty incredible for the Lord? That person is Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now many of you are familiar with the story of Elijah. If you're not, I'll just remind you, he went up eventually on Mount Carmel. He fought against the prophets of Baal with the altar. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. It's a pretty incredible, courageous, brave act in the face of all these prophets and this king that was opposed to him. But the interesting thing about Elijah is that he didn't start out like that. It wasn't as if that's the first thing the Lord called him to do. Instead, what we see is this very interesting progression. And and this is what's important as we study this this morning. We see this progression of going from maybe a little faith and a little courage to great faith and great courage. And my hope and prayer as we study this this morning is that you'll find yourself somewhere in this story. Because maybe God's called you to do something pretty incredible. Maybe God wants to use you to accomplish some great things but it's going to take you some small steps to get there before the Lord can actually use you. So we'll pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screens as well. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, I'm going to get to Ahab in just a second, he's a wicked king. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now I want to give you point number one and then I want to kind of think through it and remember here's what you need to begin to see in this, in this story this morning, in this study. There's progression here from little faith to great faith 
from little action to great action, from small accomplishments for the Lord to great accomplishments for the Lord. And as you see this progression taking place in Scripture, I want you to find yourself somewhere along this path. Here's truth number one. Courage begins with belief. Courage begins with belief. Now, Elijah in 1 Kings 17 just kind of comes on the scene. We don't know anything about him up to this point. We don't know a whole lot about his story. We understand that he comes into this time in the history of Israel when things aren't so good. King Ahab is a wicked king. He's the king of Israel. He's led the people of Israel to false worship, of false prophets, and Baal, the false god. His wife Jezebel is wicked and she's perverse and she's corrupting him even more. And so Elijah's kind of dropped in the scene, so to speak, as a prophet right in the middle of the wickedness, right in the middle of the evil of this king's reign. And we see again kind of this picture, and we've seen it before in our Old Testament studies, that at times the Israelites did great things for the Lord and at times they were sinful. It's kind of like this roller coaster. And God would always send people, sometimes prophets, sometimes judges, to kind of rein them back in, oftentimes punish them for their sins, and kind of get them back on the right path. Elijah is one of these kinds of people because Ahab has led them to a bad place. And God's going to use Elijah to do incredible things, but he can't use him yet because Elijah's not where he needs to be. But I want you to notice kind of Elijah's heart. It's interesting to me in verse 1, if we can pull that back up. Because Elijah's going to begin with kind of this idea of belief. Listen to what he says. He's speaking to Ahab, the wicked king Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except that by words. See, there's a famine coming, Elijah says, King Ahab, because you've done wicked things. Because you're perverted and your wife is perverted. You live the Israelites away from the true and living God. Because of those things, there's no rain to come. There's no food. It's going to lead to famine and eventually to destruction. But I want you to notice the two things that Elijah says about the Lord in verse 1. I think it's very interesting as we kind of think about his foundation. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except in my word. Elijah says there's, there's two things you need to know about my God. The first one is that he lives, and the second one, I'm going to serve him. Now, if we wanted to kind of summarize our walk with the Lord... If we wanted to kind of simplify it to kind of maybe a foundational level, we, we should say these two things. I understand the Lord lives. I believe that he is who he says he is, number one. And then number two, I'm going to choose to serve him. I believe he lives, and I believe that I'm going to serve him because he wants to use me. Now, here's the thing we understand about Elijah. Here's the, understand, here's the thing we need to understand about our faith as well as we kind of think about the ground floor with him, kind of working our way up. We understand this simple truth. The stronger our faith, the more courage we will find. Okay, let me just say that again. The stronger our faith, the more courage we're going to find. Let me kind of phrase it a different way. If you don't have faith that God really is who he says he is, if you don't have faith that God really does answer prayer, if you don't have faith that God really can't accomplish things in your life and wants to use you for his honor and glory, if you don't believe any of those things, you're not going to have the courage to follow him, are you? But the more you believe him, 
the more you trust him, the more you understand that his promises are true and real and that he wants to use you, the more you understand that, the more your faith grows and the more courageous you'll be for him. We did something last Christmas, kind of fun for our kids. We kind of gave them all this one big gift. We did, put a zip line in in our house. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't do zip lines. But now zip lines are cool, and that's what our kids wanted, so we put a zip line in. And so we started it kind of low on one tree, and I, I told the other services I laugh a little bit now because I kind of decided how high I wanted to put up the tree based on kind of how tall the kids were, and I didn't want to come to a grinding halt, you know, at the end of the zip line. I wanted them to be able to land on their feet. And so, I don't know, it's six or seven feet off the ground on one side. And then I put in this really big pine tree. It's probably 20 feet tall on the other end. And so we got this harness, and we'll hook our kids into the harness and, you know, put them on the line. They kind of zip down. It's fun to me to watch when they have friends over because it's kind of a different experience. These friends come over, and they get hooked up into this harness and this thing, and, and we didn't want to have to build a high ladder. We were afraid they'd fall as they're trying to get up to the zip line. So we hook them on at the end, basically, and I pull them to the high part. I put a little rope on the back of their little harness, and so they're hooked in facing this way, and I'm pulling them backwards kind of to the high point, and they get higher and higher and higher, and then I let them go. And it's interesting to me to watch the kids that have maybe never been before or never ridden a zip line because I'll hook them in, and, you know, they kind of got this look of fear on their face, and they're kind of, you know, they're holding on. And, and as I start pulling them away, and they kind of get out of earshot of the group that's waiting on them, all the other the kids, they go, I don't want to go all the way to the top. Okay, no big deal. You want to go halfway? Yeah, I'll go halfway. Okay, so I pull them halfway. You know, their feet are like six feet off the ground. It's like they're a mile up. They're scared to death, right? Now, I let them go, and they, you know, about five miles an hour, they go to the end. And they go, wow, that was kind of fun. Let's, let's go a little farther this time. So I pull them a little farther, right? And they go a little farther. And two or three, four times into it, they want to finally go all the way to the top. And then sometimes at the end, they want me to sling them a little bit. I can get them going really fast with that rope. Zip them down the line. Hope they stop before they hit the big tree at the end. You know, use the brakes. You know, so they're zipping down the line. It's interesting to me to watch this progression because it goes from fear to this great courageous person that wants to go really fast. And the zip line, I ask myself, why does that happen? What's the simple understanding? Here, here's what happens in their brains. The more they trust that that harness is not actually going to break, the more they trust that they're not going to fall, the more they trust that they really are safe, their courage grows, doesn't it? It's just real simple. Just a real simple process. We apply that same sort of logic to our spiritual walk. The more we begin to understand that the Lord really isn't going to drop us, the more we understand that the Lord really does want to use us and accomplish things through us, the more that we trust the Lord, the more our courage grows and the more we can do for Him. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, I get that. I get that progression. I get that logic. But, you know, God used Elijah to do some pretty incredible things at the end. How does he get him to that point? Why don't you just watch kind of the steps we're going to take here. Look in verse 2. All right, it starts with just simple belief. Belief and trust, and the more that trust and belief grows, the more courageous we become, the more courageous Elijah becomes. First Kings 17, now verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, after he's just talked to King Ahab, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Remember, there's not going to be any rain. That means there's not going to be food. That means there's going to be a drought. So the Lord says, go, I'm going to provide for you, verse 5. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, 
and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have, this is important, directed a widow there to supply you with food. So here's the progression. Now just think through with me just for a moment. It begins with belief. Now, for some people, belief is down here. For some people, it's a little bit higher. But the the, uh, amount of faith you have and the amount of trust you have increases your courage. And truth number two, courageous belief then leads to action. You understand that? As our belief becomes more and more courageous and we find more and more courage because our faith is strengthened in the Lord, it leads us now to this place of action. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's not immediate. And sometimes it takes small steps. Look at the first thing the Lord called Elijah to do. Verse 3. Pull it back up, please. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in a ravine. That doesn't sound very courageous, does it? Elijah, you need to get out of here. And the great thing I want you to do for me is to go hide somewhere in a ravine. I'm going to take care of you. Now you think, that's, that's not that big of a deal. It's not that courageous for Elijah to do that. And you're right, it wasn't. It was a small step. But here's what the Lord wanted Elijah to understand. As you're in this ravine... As you're away from me, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to send these ravens to bring you food. I'm going to send this brook and allow the water to stay in this brook so you can drink. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to provide for you. And Elijah's faith is growing. His strength is growing. His courage is growing. He's seeking the Lord more and more. It's leading him now to more and more action, to do more and more courageous things. But here's the problem we face sometimes in our walk with Christ. Because we're not accustomed sometimes to doing the more difficult things. We're not quite sure how to get to that point. You ever had the opportunity, you probably have and I have, to ask a person maybe who's never prayed in public to pray for the first time? Now, I'm not going to do this. You don't have to start looking at your shoes and wigging out. Imagine if I called on one of you right now to come pray. About half of y'all, the blood of your face would just run right out, right? Why? Because you're not used to doing it. That's okay. When we're not accustomed to doing certain things, it becomes more difficult. It's like that in our walk with Christ. If we're not used to spending time in his word or praying or fasting or doing the things that he's called us to do in areas of service, if we're not accustomed to doing those things, they're hard to do for the first time. But the more we do them, right, the small steps, the bigger steps become easier, don't they? Elijah's faith begins to grow. His actions begin to grow. God gives him some small things to accomplish first so that through him he can now accomplish big things. I have the opportunity right now, and this is kind of my world. The world I'm living in right now is that my daughter turned 15 this last week. Now, you know what that means. She gets her license. Y'all supposed to give a reaction. The other services are like, whoa. Oh, thank you. Wow, that is... Thank you. So I'm teaching my daughter how to drive, and one of the things I'm trying to do, I'm not sure if I'm crazy or not, is I'm teaching her how to drive a manual transmission. Yeah, okay, wow, look at that. I like it. Because she needs to learn how to drive a manual. Now, she doesn't know how to drive it yet. Praise the Lord, she doesn't know how to drive it yet, but she's learning. So we've had many an opportunity to go into the parking lot somewhere and her, you know, ball out my wheels trying to get it first gear started, right? And it's, it's, it's a little frustrating to me, and I've been really good dads that are going to teach your daughters. One of the things I've prayed is, let me just remain calm. <laughs> let me breathe and just remain calm during this process. Because I drive, my little truck is a manual, that's what I'm teaching her on. And I love driving. I, I learned when I was 15 years old to drive a stick shift. 
I've been driving one ever since. And so it's really second nature to me. So for me, sitting on the, sitting on the, the hill at the army store with a car two inches off my back bumper is not a big deal. I just put it in first gear and run up the hill. For her, it'd be like the end of the world. She'd be panicking, sweating, waving them on around because she needs like 25 feet to roll back, right? Before she starts forward. It's a struggle for her because she's never done it. For me, it's second nature. I just, it's just what I do. I could do it with my eyes closed. I never would, but I could do it with my eyes closed. It's kind of like that in our spiritual walk. If you're just learning Even the small things seem difficult for you. Even the small acts of obedience are scary to you. If you've been doing it all your life and you've been seeking the Lord and growing in your faith, then it's not a big deal. Why? Because it's second nature. God is using Elijah. He's giving him small steps first to grow his walk, to deepen his faith, so God can use him to do great things. So it is with us. You start small. You trust the Lord. You build your faith. You allow that faith to give you courage to accomplish things for him. And the more things you accomplish on the smaller level, the more God is going to use you to accomplish great things all through your life. You say, I think God's called me to do something. You're right, Adam. As as I think about it, I've I've kind of prayed about it over the years. And I just, I sense that maybe the Lord wants to do this in my life. But that scares me. I'm not quite sure even really how to get to that point. I'm not exactly sure what God wants to do in my life there, but I just kind of sense him moving in this direction. But I don't think I can just leap there in one single bound. You don't have to. God's going to give you little steps. You be faithful in the small things, in the small steps, and God will give you bigger and bigger and bigger things to accomplish for his glory. So God's building Elijah's faith. He's building Elijah's courage. He's giving him small things to accomplish. Run and hide. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to keep you alive in the drought. And then you may remember that God had sent him to a widow. Go find this widow and live with her. Now let's pick up the story in verse 17 of 1 Kings chapter 17 because it's going to get a little more intense. Now remember, big things, small things lead to big things. Verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill, right? So this is her little boy. He's sick. He grew worse and worse, and he finally stopped breathing. So she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. The boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to the mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. That's interesting to me. Just think about this for just a second. As God uses Elijah to accomplish greater and greater things, as his faith is deepened, as he becomes more and more courageous in the Lord and accomplishes more and more things, people begin to notice. Look at what the widow says again in verse 24. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You know, I think, wouldn't it be cool if we lived our lives in such a way that when people saw us, they said, you know, there's a man of God 
And I can see the Lord working through him. And when I see the Lord working through him, I know that the Lord speaks truth. Wouldn't you like somebody to say that about you? Wouldn't you like to be known as the person that lives their life in such a way that people see you and understand that you are a man or woman of God and that God is using you to accomplish great things? See, here's the thing we understand about Elijah. It's going to get even bigger. Right? Faith leads to action. Small action leads to big action leads to bigger action. We pick up the story now in chapter 18 as we wind down this morning. Chapter 18, verse 19. God has now you know, called Elijah out of the ravine, out of the cave, out of the widow's house to stand again in front of King Ahab to challenge the wicked king, to let the wicked king know that God is going to punish him for his sins, and now he's going to challenge Ahab to figure out what the truth is. 1 Kings 18, verse 19. He's speaking now, Elijah, to King Ahab. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table, right? So bring all these prophets that are against me And I'm going to stand alone on this mountain against these people. So Ahab, verse 20, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long, this is a challenge to the people of Israel, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. By the way, just a side note, sometimes you've got to stand up in a group of people and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. You know that? Sometimes you need to find the courage in order to do that. Even when the people say nothing, you ought to do it. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to him, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, right? So Elijah's saying, look, there are 450 of these guys. There's only one of me. Let's have a contest. Get two bulls. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces. Put it on the wood, but not set fire to it, right? So get it ready, but don't set it on fire. Elijah says, now I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it, verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God, I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Elijah says, you know what, let's just have a competition, guys. 450 of you, you got the king on your side, you got the queen on your side, you got all these people on your side. I stand alone for the Lord, but let's have a competition to see exactly whose God is real. Here's truth number three. Belief and trust in the Lord allows us to find courage and accomplish great things for him. Belief increased leads to courage leads to action, small action to greater action. And as our courage is, our belief is strengthened, our trust is strengthened, our courage grows, we accomplish great things for the Lord. And so the prophets are set up, they're ready to go. He says we're going to call fire down from heaven. Whoever sends fire is the actual God. And let's just have a competition. Prophets of Baal, you go first. Now, I'm not going to read through all the scripture, but here's the interesting thing. As these prophets stand up and they begin to call on the name of Baal, nothing happens. And they cry out and they cry out and they continue to cry out. They continue to cry out. And Elijah kind of starts picking at him. He kind of mocks him midway through the process. Hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe your God's out on an errand. Maybe you've got to wait for him to come back. Now, we laugh at this, but you know in South Asia, the people still wake up their gods. They ring bells to wake them up. Did you know that? It's still real. 
they still believe they have to go and wake their gods up. So Elijah goes through this process, wake him up, maybe he's out on an era, and then nothing ever happens. So Elijah says, you know what, now it's my turn. So look at verse 33 of 1 Kings 18. So this is Elijah, he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood, then he said to them, that's not enough, he's just going to make the altar. It's not enough, he's just going to cut up the bull and he's going to put it on top. Fill four large jars with water. Pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and filled the trench. Right? It's not enough just to build an altar. We're going to soak it. We're going to pour water on top of water, on top, jar after jar after jar. So much that's going to soak the wood. It's going to soak the bull. And all of it's going to run down and literally fill up the trenches all around it. Right? So he's kind of upping the ante. Not only am I going to call on my God to do this, but I'm going to soak this wood so it would be really impossible outside of a miracle for the Lord for it to catch fire. Now verse 38, excuse me, then verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. This is his prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. By the way, Elijah says, do this, Lord, for your glory so they can see your power and see that you really are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Right? It just destroyed everything. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. See, when we allow our faith to grow in courage, when we allow our small acts of obedience to become larger acts of obedience, the Lord uses that for His honor. The Lord uses that for His glory. And great things happen. So I want to leave you with this idea this morning as we finish up. What great things does the Lord want you to accomplish? What great thing is he calling you to do? What has he kind of given you in your time of prayer and study? What direction is he kind of sending you that you're scared to death because you don't quite know how to get there? What's the thing that you need to understand the Lord wants to do in your life to bring himself honor and glory? Because as you begin to understand that and your faith grows and your actions grow, and you take one step after the other after the other, God will use you and will bless you and will get you to this place to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish so he can demonstrate, as he did very clearly here, that he is the Lord God. And when you do these great things for the Lord, other people notice, and he receives honor and glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Elijah. Thank you, Father, that it's very real to us because we see a man whose faith grew, whose actions became more and more difficult to accomplish, but in the midst of it, Father, you used him. You equipped him. You gave him courage to do great things. And Lord, I just pray that we would kind of find ourselves in that story. I pray that wherever we are kind of on our journey, on our walk with you, Lord, that we would just continue to grow in our faith, continue to grow in our trust and our belief. 
through that, we would gain more and more courage that would lead to action, that would lead to great things. And I pray, Father, you just use us in this world to shine the light of the truth of Jesus Christ to all that have not yet heard. And we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity to pray at the altar. Maybe you need to pray about courage, what the Lord's doing in your heart or what he wants you to do. But this is your time to respond. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.